Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about Dana Scully's experimental phase so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read X-Files Origins, Devil's Advocate by Jonathan Mayberry. Joining us to discuss this prequel novel that literally no one asked for is the Mulder to Kate Scully, Nicole. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me back. I do just want to real quick unpack this because I kind of feel like, if anything, you're like a two Mulder relationship. (laughs) (laughs) That is, it is very true. Like, I'm very flattered by that. So I read it anyway. But as I was reading it, I was thinking like, we're both, we're, let's be honest, we're like two of the fucking lone gunmen over here. (laughs) That's fair. That actually probably would have been more accurate. It was mostly, it was a little bit of a throwback to, I was like a trash teenager. So when I watched the X-Files, I preferred Mulder when I was a teen. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm older, I obviously prefer Scully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a little bit of a throwback to that because Kate, teen Kate had correct opinions and was always team Scully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> team Kate knew that she was gay a little bit before you did. I was going to say, yeah, I... <laughs> I feel like I missed out because Jillian Anderson was not my lesbian awakening. And I'm very upset about that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I also liked Mulder too, which I mean, it makes sense because I'm straight brag. Um, Not a brag. (laughs) Not cool. Um, Unfortunate, but there it is. Um, But I think Mulder's like funnier and that's something that I value a lot in a character. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I, I never appreciated when I was a teenager, like, the the characters that I read as, like, stick in the mud. So when I read Animorphs, I also didn't care for Cassie at the time. And now I understand how wrong that opinion is. Yeah. But, like, I just, those characters were really, like, off-putting to me. I was like, just believe and, like, d- you know, go do this reckless thing instead of being, like, reasonable and wanting evidence and think, you know, like, all the stuff that I guess maybe teenagers are just more likely to, <laughs> to enjoy <laughs> than adults. That's And, you know, and that's what Scully's up to in this book, which is incorrect um yeah before we get too deep into this um because when we did our last x-files book which was a flashback to like a 90s x-files book um this book and the other one is just x-files origins agent of chaos um these came out in 2017 they came out pretty recently long after x-files had been off the air and yet, before it came back on the air, just in this truly weird time period to be releasing young adult prequel X-Files novels. And these are, they're prequel novels of the characters as teens. They're solidly published as YA, written both by authors who are better known for their YA stuff. And yet, in 2017, no teens are watching X-Files. It wasn't even, like, how all teens started watching, like, Friends and The Office. Like, if you came to me and pitched me, like, a, a YA Friends prequel novel, I'd be like, yeah, like, honestly, I think I know a lot of teens who would read that right now. But, like, X-Files didn't have that. And so I think the target audience of these books must just be, like, millennials who watch X-Files when they were younger and, like, now they're adults and still read YA books for fun sometimes. But I just, it's such a mystifying choice top to bottom everything about these um and it's very weird it's weird yes jonathan mayberry is maybe best known he had this young adult series the first one was called rotten ruin i think maybe the series is also called rotten ruin they're about zombies so i've obviously never read any of them 
They were like <laughs> medium tier popular. Um, you know, he wasn't. This is, and and the the Mulder one is written by Cami Garcia, who wrote Beautiful Creatures, or she co-wrote Beautiful Creatures. To be fair, um, by the way, we should do an episode about Beautiful Creatures. Let's I put, think it's on the long list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So and she, I would say these are both sort of like solid, like B list YA author, like no shade, like you know they're not out here like a, a John Green or whatever, where they have the huge name value that some YA authors do. But like they've written several books, like people sort of know about them. But it's it's so it weird. Feels, I mean, they feel very on tier with a lot of the authors that have been tapped to do this, like. Uh, licensed ip tie-in novels yes yeah totally and like again i don't i don't mean for any of this to sound like shamey except for except for yes shame on jonathan mayberry because this book (laughs) is bad but no shame i was gonna throw i was gonna throw a little shade because obviously i'm not as like tapped into ya books and like authors as you guys are um uh, when I like got to his bio at the end, I was like, "Oh, you've written other books." I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a charming anecdote from our childhood, which probably doesn't belong here and further belonged at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. But I just remembered it, sort of. Um, so when when Nicole and I were young, we lived an hour apart. Our parents somehow tricked us into thinking that this meant we could only see each other on very special occasions because an hour was an insurmountable distance to drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were gullible. Now that I'm an adult and I drive like an hour and back for meetings for work, like, or did previously in the before times, like all the time, I have been able, and even in high school, once I got my license, I was like, oh, this was a trick that they successfully played on us for 17 years. <laughs> um but we would write letters back and forth um, before email. And I remember writing a letter to Nicole being like, when we were, I don't know, nine or 10, being like, oh, like, Nicole, like, I just discovered this new show and I love it so much. And it's called The X-Files. And like, I think you would like it too. And after I put that letter in the mail, but before it could have possibly gotten to her, I got a letter from Nicole <laughs> being like, here are the TV shows that I'm watching that I think you would like. First off is The X-Files. <laughs> and it was just like this perfect moment of kismet that is honestly something that has sort of followed us throughout our lives. Yeah, But it, it was a moment as a child where I was like, yes, like... I, Nicole and I are like on the same level. And that's why like, we're such good friend cousins. And like, this is like, this is the universe telling me that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Kate, would you say that we believed the lie that our parents told us about an hour being in Surrender? (laughs) We did believe the lie. The very, the very bad lie that we believed very easily. God, we didn't learn anything from the X-Files. <laughs> um, would you say that your parents secretly um, signed you up for government psychic experiences, experiments? Uh, and maybe you do have an actual psychic link? I mean, anything's possible if we believed their very obvious lie. I feel like <laughs> yes. we can't, we cannot trust anyone anymore. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, I guess maybe they didn't predict the internet, but it feels like it was a pretty... A pretty uh, useless endeavor, considering, like, a year later we had email and, like, the, I don't know how that connects to anything. <laughs> the lie? Is it it's just all right. That you're you're, you're sleep-deprived. It's fine. 
is it just that the parents of yours who are siblings? I don't know which uh, which side your cousins on. Oh, we're Jersey cousins. Um, so actually, our <laughs> <laughs> our moms are first cousins. Okay. Do your moms just not like each other that much, and they just didn't want to see each other that often? Is that part of this? My mom is extremely antisocial, so possibly. Also, I don't think my mom listens to the podcast, but sorry, mom, if you do. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but also not, not I to feel put your like... whole family on blast. But was this part of that? <laughs> it's true that Nicole's mom is incredibly antisocial, and when she was living in the same town as my mom and her three sisters, like did not socialize with them nearly as much as they wanted. Um, but I do feel like your mom and my mom were each other's favorite cousin. Yes. And did, like, kind of, like, enjoy spending time together. Like, whenever we did end up going there, a lot of times, like, it would be for, like, a long weekend. And, like, my mom would stay, too. So it was, I don't know. I think they just probably didn't want to drive us as often as we would have liked to hang out before we could drive is really what it was. You know, we probably like would have been hanging out. Yes. Okay. (laughs) There were no hybrid cars, you know, Mm -hmm. so you just had to pay full price for gas all the time. (laughs) Um, Here's my more recent anecdote about the X-Files and about these books. Um, And the print copies, the end papers are like, fake redacted you know like the with the big black stripes like it's been redacted by the government and it just says i want to believe among the stripies and then um the back one is trust no one left among the stripies but then so i i got these when i ordered them for the library i checked them out because i was curious you know i i like the x-files as you know and i was I was like, who are these for? They're not for teens, but maybe it's for me. I'll check these out. And so I got them and I, I observed the stripies and the end papers, but then it kept going into the book. And But it wasn't like these uniform stripies. It was just like big blotches of ink. And I was like, oh, is this like a cute, like fake censored thing? And then I was like, no, this book is just misprinted. But I read several chapters where I was just, like, trying to figure out, like, is this a code? Like, what happened? And then I I tweeted about it, and someone was like, no, that's definitely misprinted. You should return it. And so we returned it and got a new one. But that's how, that's how badly I wanted to believe, is I was, like, really trying to wrestle with this misprinted book. And maybe that oh my God, distracted amazing. me from how, um, how bad this book is to <laughs> Oh, oh, that is, I, I have the Kindle version, so I didn't have the joy of potentially getting a misprinted book that I thought was a puzzle. <laughs> yeah, it, this is not, they're not good. Well, I, don't, I haven't read the Mulder one. I'm just, the Mulder but one this is book. better. The Mulder one's I'll just better. Say that. Agreed. This is not good. And no. I, I just, I feel like this isn't, sorry, there's a fire truck going by it's the government the world is burning down so (laughs) they're coming to get me um the it's not nothing in this is recognizable as dana scully exactly Exactly. yeah not a single thing that she does or says or like anything about her resonates with what we know about scully in canon nothing sticks out as particularly scully like 
And yeah. also canonically, it makes no sense with what we know from the show. But that actually isn't that weird, considering the show doesn't make any sense within itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I could have forgiven that uh, if if the rest of it had added up. But another thing about this is when these were announced, I was like, oh, that's interesting that like the boy writer is writing the Scully book and the girl writer is writing the Mulder book. And they did this wrong. It's wrong. It was a mistake. Jonathan Mayberry, his teenage girl voice is sketchy. It makes me uncomfortable. I do not care for like knowing that this man is writing about teen Scully doing yoga in like the weirdest way. Oh my God. Um, I don't like the way he writes about her crushes. I don't like it. Um, And then again, we're not going to talk too much about the Mulder book because, because there's only one podcast, but um. You know, and this is an observation that's made other times is like women grow up having to read about boys. I think women in general, and I'm getting into like a lot of, you know, whatever, um, you have to sort of pay attention and learn more. Like, I think the average woman is going to be better at writing like an average man voice versus like men. There's, you know, it's such a cultural joke that like men don't know what women are thinking and like whatever. And I am here to tell you. For sure, at least Jonathan Mayberry doesn't, and he yeah, shouldn't. Correct. He shouldn't try, <laughs> or he should yeah, try yeah. way harder and not publish it, and then come back to me. Later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the most like so much of this, like Renata said, like the way that she that he describes um, Scully's yoga and like her the way her that she hips, looks at her body. Boys, it's Oof. a lot of it is like weird and gross, but to me, the thing that makes it most obvious that it's written by a man is the twist, which when we get to it you will understand why like only a man could think that this was a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that's yeah. Uh, that that okay. was like, Oh, for, for me, it was like, cause I did read both of the books so I can do a little bit of a comparison. This, if you changed the names and just made this, you know, whatever book, there's nothing about this that I would say, Oh, this is Dana Scully with like the serial numbers filed off. But the Mulder book definitely to me was like, if you change the names, I'm like, okay, this is like thinly veiled X-Files fan fiction, you know? And yeah. So that, yeah, it's just, it was, it was not the worst book that you've had me read for your podcast, <laughs> but it was, that's a low bar. Um, sure, but it's still bad. Gerald's game. Oh God. And I honestly still cannot decide if that was worse than City of Bones or not, because City of it was just the right. Okay, anyway, <laughs> so this is anyway, this is not listen, as bad as to those past episodes available on WorstBestsellers.com or Apple Podcasts. Um, <laughs> one okay, we should get into like the plot of this book, but one last thing I want to say about this book that was became apparent to me as I was getting my notes together, and usually I kind of kind of try to write like a little short summary of each chapter just to keep me in order and on track this book has 83 chapters and three epilogues and many of these chapters just like nothing happens i think he's just sort of maybe trying to recreate the effect of a show that's like cutting from scene to scene but some of the Mm. scenes are just like truly pointless some of the scenes some of the chapters are only a few paragraphs and it's just sort of i guess meant to build suspense but it was annoying and really in a lot of places kept it from building any kind of narrative flow Mm -hmm. yeah i agree also i do want to mention this interview that i brought up with him because we're talking about how it doesn't feel like scully it turns out that he uh wrote this book 
in five weeks when he admits that usually it takes him two and a half months to write a book. And also he came up with the entire plot in 24 hours. So I feel like perhaps if he had spent a little bit more time on these things, it may have ended up feeling more like, you know, an X-Files young adult Dana Scully book. Just saying. Yeah. Give us your second draft at least. Right. <laughs> maybe maybe like write out a second plot outline just to see <laughs> if you come up with something better. Just putting that out there. Okay. All right. We're done. So let's let's get into this book, um, which starts with a weird non sequitur of Teen Scully talking to her sister, Melissa, who you might remember from the show was a hippy dippy new age kind of weirdo Mm -hmm. um and she tells melissa that she wishes she could believe in mystical stuff the way that melissa and their grandmother do and they talk and then while they're talking outside there are three shadowy figures in black suits sitting in a car saying ominous things about scully And that's like the first two chapters, which are fairly short. And it sets the tone for this book as something that's going to just keep trying to shoehorn X-Files shit into this. Like, Mm -hmm. just to remind you that it's an X-Files book, because otherwise you wouldn't know. Like, the the first line is Scully saying, I want to believe. Which, (laughs) by the way, that's not a normal thing to say. And that's something that, honestly, I always thought was weird in the X-Files, was Mulder has this poster in his office, right, that says, I want to believe. Like, who made that poster? <laughs> like, what is... And I, because I remember... I would, I, looked... I would say that Mulder had it, like, printed off of Redbubble, like he made it himself, but of course it didn't <laughs> exist back then. <laughs> right. Because I remember even as a kid, you know, I had all the X-Files episode guides and stuff, and they were like, oh, we custom made this po- poster for Mulder's office to, like, set the tone. But, like, in the world of X-Files, where did he buy this? <laughs> Like, that's, I mean, he does explicitly it say where he bought it, what? but that I know that's not actually what you're what you mean. Well, okay, but like, where did he buy it? Um, he bought it at a head shop down, and he names like the actual street in Washington D.C. All right, that um, does make sense. Scully wants to get one for um, <laughs> maybe the guy in the tattoo episode. I can't remember now, but like, she on a weekend where she's off doing her own thing. Got it. She uh says that okay i think but, i think that was just a cover Mulder was like i made i collaged it myself and took right. it to like a kinko's and had it like scanned and printed but anyway like i want to believe is is a thing now because of the show because of the poster but it's not like a it's not like a saying it's not otherwise. a phrase that humans yeah. so it's yeah. like it's like on wheel of fortune where the the puzzle is phrase <laughs> but actually it's a phrase that no human has ever said aloud in their lives before yes um <laughs> But so so um, Scully's dreams, the reason she's brought up her dreams is because she's having these like creepy dreams that feel prophetic about like people being murdered or mm-hmm. something. So she uh, is after while she's having these dreams, um, someone we then cut to someone kidnapping a teenage girl um, and killing her in the way that Scully dreamed of. Um, so the next day on the way to school. And by the way, they've just recently moved to this new town in Maryland. So they're new in school, new in town um, because of which we did have a sense of that in the show that, you know, her dad was in the Navy and they did move around a lot when she was a kid. So like that tracks. 
Yeah. Um, so on their way to school, they meet up with some boys, um, or a boy and a girl who are, like, new and, like, trying to make friends with them. And, like, I think one of them mentions, like, oh, like, did you hear about, you know, this girl who died? And Scully immediately is like, oh, my God, like, who killed her? And they're like, uh, nobody. She died in a car accident. And Scully is just, like, shocked because she was trying to connect it to her dream. Um, but also it is still weird because, like, lots of teenagers have randomly died in car crashes in, like, the past couple months. Yeah, five, and which is statistically improbable for a small town. Yeah. So Scully, like, feels, like, silly for, for jumping to this conclusion, but also, like, thinks it's a little weird. Uh, and when she's at school, uh, she's getting changed in the locker room and she sees a girl uh, standing near her and starts to talk to her. And like the girl is like acting very strangely. And then she starts bleeding um, with like stigmata wounds. Mm-hmm. And when Scully runs to tell her teacher, uh, they come back and there's no girl and there's no blood. And when she points to where the girl was standing it was like at the locker of the girl who was just murdered so now everyone just thinks that she's like trying to get everyone's i guess attention by talking about dead girls yeah but you know her name was the dead girl's name is Maisie. scully didn't really know Maisie. she didn't know it was Maisie's locker and it turns out later in her vision she saw exactly the outfit that Maisie had been wearing when she died because she died after leaving a party. So a lot of people knew what she was wearing, except for Maisie was wearing a pendant in the vision that wasn't with her body, which we'll find out. Yes. Um, so after school, Scully's very unsettled by this. And Melissa takes her to the local hippy dippy new age shop called Beyond Beyond which is a name for a store that I guess Cami Garcia and this guy came up with together. It sounds like yeah. It also appears on the Mulder book, Agent of Chaos. Yes, this is yes. where this is how the two books cross over. Well, it's the prequel to Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> I accept this as the new canon for this. Um, Melissa uh, takes her to Beyond Beyond, and they meet. Um, Corinda, who is like the hippy dippy proprietor of this shop, and she can tell that Scully is connected to this girl Maisie, um, and is like, oh, like you're having visions. It's you speak to your spiritual fucking whatever. Um, <laughs> that's that's a direct quote. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and so it it does seem like they go to this hippie store pretty regularly, and it's not. Like, it's a bookstore and it's a cafe, but also has multiple classrooms for, like, yoga and meditation classes. It seems like a pretty a big operation, frankly. Yeah, I, I actually could not, not that this is a big deal, but I couldn't, like, envision what the layout of this place is in my head. Because right? it seemed like it just had everything, every plot device that this book and the Mulder book needed was in the store. <laughs> Yes. It also felt weird to me that they're in, like, this tiny town in Maryland yes. or whatever. And it's like, oh, it's it's the 70s, and yet here we are with our hippie store slash yoga studio slash cafe. Yeah. A thing I mean, that there were tons of. Yeah. There, there was and, a lot in this book that was anachronistic, which we'll get to, but that, that also struck me as like a little bit like, mm, really? In 1979? Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it could have been, like, cutting edge for white people. I don't know. But even to the point where... So Corinda is one of the proprietors, and then there's also Sunlight, who we'll meet later. But I want to bring <laughs> him up, because at some point, he's like, I pay a lot of taxes in this town, and I'm very powerful. Because of my hippie store, Beyond Beyond, in this town, this population, like, a thousand or something? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's it's yeah. very it's very weird. Um, so there's Scully, um, has another dream of, of kid dying, I think, at this point. Yeah. Everything is kind of blurred. Yeah, I honestly couldn't keep track of all the, the weird visions and stuff, so, yeah, that happens again at some point. Yeah, and we're also starting to get chapters that are from the point of view of these mysterious agents, um, Malcolm Gerlock and Danny, who doesn't have another name but Danny, um, they're watching, they're being creepy. And yes, ominous. they're spying on all these kids, but especially Scully. Um, and so Nicole pointed out that Mal- Malcolm Gerlach is apparently a character who actually appears in the show. And I Googled it and he's like one of the unnamed men in black who's around for like two episodes and then is murdered by X. So... <laughs> Yeah, but I, I guess I mean, he had a name in the script that wasn't said out loud, and it was Gerlach. So good job on googling that, I guess. Cool. Yeah, um, and at, yeah, and at some point they refer to themselves as being in the Syndicate, capital S. Which, if you know from the show, you know you know them. And if not, yeah. I don't have time to explain the Syndicate to you. It's too much. Yeah, <laughs> and again, not I mean, much of it makes sense. You can watch seven seasons of the X Files and not understand the Syndicate. Yeah. Yep, that's that's sort of the boat I'm in. I definitely watched the the show and then don't understand any of it. Yeah, still. just, like, hey, just, just like a big shadowy organization that has their fingers in a lot of plot convenient spooky pies. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would like so... to order a spooky pie. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> They're seasonal. Come back in October. <laughs> So Scully uh, also has a dream at one point where she sees herself as Scully from the show, mm-hmm. um, as like an FBI agent. Yeah, and, like, she's like, pantsuit. "Gross, my future self wears pantsuits." Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Can I? I just and need having... to pause and talk about how much I hated this particular part because it kind of felt like lazy narrative where I almost feel like Mayberry realized, "Oh, this teen Dana Scully doesn't really have any." anything that ties her to adult Dana Scully. So I'm going to have her have this vision dream of herself as an FBI. Like it just, it was, I just, I just couldn't, this was, it was like, he was lazy instead of putting in the effort to connect the two narratively. He was just like, I'm just going to have her have a vision of her future self. Now, you know, they're the same person. Big time. Duarte is also upset about this. You might. (laughs) I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way, but now that you say that it does make a lot of sense because she does spend teen Scully when she's having this vision is very like, this can't possibly be me. I'm nothing like this. So yeah, maybe he was kind of covering his ass. That's just how it came across to me. Cause even by this point, and this is only like chapter 14 out of what 83 or whatever Renata Uh said before. So It, it even by this point, I was still like, this does not, there's nothing here that feels like Dana Scully to me. So then this comes in and I'm like, oh, you realized this, sir, <laughs> and didn't, didn't course correct. <laughs> you just threw the scene in here to try and make up for it. Yeah. Um, so as, as this is going on, more people are dying. Scully is having these weird dreams about them. 
She's like very cautious now of who she tells. She does tell her grandmother who has dementia, but has moments of clarity. And in a moment of clarity, her grandmother like tells her all about like what biblical angels are really like. And all of these things that like corroborate what's happening to Scully in her dreams and does like the weird kind of gross thing that they use people with dementia for in media where it's like they give them like one warning that all of the people around them who don't need the warning are like, oh, like that's just grandma. She's crazy again. But then like in the moment when the protagonist protagonist needs it, suddenly the the warning makes sense. And it's clear that this person with dementia is connected to some sort of higher power. And it's like vaguely implied that those things are linked. And it just always feels gross. Yep. Um, so that happens here. Um, Scully also makes friends with a boy named Ethan, who's her science lab partner. And like, they're both like real into science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I... Oh, never mind. Um, they're, both real, they're both very into science these days. That's a deep cut. Um, uh, and Ethan's uncle um, is a cop. And he tells Scully that he heard from his uncle that all of the girls were actually murdered. Or all the children were actually murdered. Um but that, like, their police is saying that it's these car cl- car crashes while they're trying to investigate further. Um, and Ethan, of course, wants to be a forensic scientist and clearly puts that bug in Scully's head. Mm-hmm. And by the way, and so Ethan's uncle lives with Ethan and is always bringing home forensic photographs. Which is, you know... <laughs> Probably. Well, I I'll I'll say this like that that used to be a thing as a person who listens to a lot of like true crime podcasts, crime scenes being kept like in order and police being like careful about things getting out is a relatively new thing. <laughs> when like crimes happened, reporters used to just like roll on up to the crime scene and like walk up to the body and start taking pictures. So it's not like, to me, totally out of the realm of possibility that in the 70s, this cop was like, well, bring home these files to work on. Right. Fair enough. But so um, the idea is that these these teens all have injuries that don't quite match what you'd get from a car accident. And they're all also only having these single car accidents where, like, they're driving home and then they just crash into a tree and, like, no one else is involved. And they've been saying that they're drunk or drug related, but th- none of them have any alcohol in their system. None of the kids, but they do have like a weird unidentified compound. Yeah. Um, so it, it seems to Scully more like they were drugged than they were on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as this is going on, Scully keeps going to Beyond Beyond and has discovered that several of the... Um, the kids who are dead took classes at Beyond Beyond or would hang out there a lot. Yeah. Beyond Beyond is just the happening place to be in Craig or Maryland. <laughs> also, like, a lot of these teens are doing yoga in 1979. I mean, <laughs> it's just... To, to briefly, because my aunt has been a yoga instructor since I was like very young. And I remember even into like the early 90s when I would tell people my aunt was a yoga instructor, people were like, what now? And like, obviously now that's different. But I'm like, in 79, all these like teens are going to this new age shop and taking yoga. Like, I feel like that would not 
be the case. In 1979, all of these teens' parents are letting yeah, them go that's fair too. do this strange <laughs> well, exercise thing they're, from a they're weird all country. Kids. <laughs> Their parents don't know that they're taking the weird yoga classes at that bizarre Beyond Beyond shop. Yes. Like, it, it just feels like in this, like, very conservative coded little town for everyone to be like yes like i am gonna let all of my i'm gonna let my children participate in this south asian mindfulness practice it seems yeah strange. yeah that that was another thing that felt very anachronistic to me among several other points that we'll get to but i was like yeah. i feel like not that many I, th this store would not be that popular like maybe the cafe part would be <laughs> But the yoga yeah. part would not be at, in, at this time, unless was this all part of the government conspiracy? That's that was the I, that was the only thing I could think. But I was like, they're getting to us through yoga. It's worked, guys. <laughs> White people love yoga now, <laughs> and they're all they're all psychic now because yoga awakens your psychic abilities. Oh shit, it's working. <laughs> uh -huh. So at Beyond Beyond, Corinda uh, starts to notice that, like, she had already, like, vaguely hinted at Dana having bad dreams. Um, and now she's like, oh, you're, like, dreaming of the devil. And, like, I'm going to, like, connect to you by reading your palm and reading your thoughts and help you, like, understand this dream. So she does, but, like, she can't get deep enough. So she's like, oh, like, sunlight, the strange older man with an interest in having yoga classes for teens mm -hmm. uh she's yeah. like oh like he's real psychic he should be the one who's reading your mind yes and you a teenage girl should definitely go and be alone with him in a dark room bye <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah the worst um, so <laughs> so uh sunlight um actually i think that happens a little bit later but, I mean, at some point, fucking who knows what order we're going in. This book was very, everything kind of just, like, mushed together. It get, and like Renata me. said before, it gets a little choppy because some of these chapters are so short and it switches point of views so often that, like, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. It's like, I don't remember exactly what happened when because it's like, oh, was that a, a two-sentence chapter or was it, like, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, but so Sunlight takes Scully into um her this special room his cocoon that he has at the shop where he does his special psychic work and he burns this special incense that before so before they go in here actually scully shows up at the shop and this kid angelo this puerto rican kid angelo is there and kind of like gives scully a hard time about various things that lead to him being like oh like you're just you think that because i'm latino like i'm not good at because he says he's he's saving up to go to college and she's like oh i i she's shocked and he's like oh i see because i'm latino like you think that i don't deserve college and she's like oh no like i used to live in southern california like i had a lot of friends who were mexican at my old school which cringe, cringe. <laughs> um and then he's like i'm not mexican i'm puerto rican and she's like oh yeah i should have checked my white privilege that is almost an exact <laughs> quote from the fucking book yeah and like sure yeah do check your white privilege scully but like this is dialogue from 1979 yeah not would not have happened this way and or or if you really wanted this then you could have set it up and been like scully took a class at beyond beyond and like they taught her like 
you know what I mean? If they had introduced it into the narrative, like why Scully might talk this way, but they fucking didn't. And it was just like weird and jarring. And also it didn't contribute anything. No. Yeah. This definitely felt like, the, like the author trying to show his wokeness and also be like, look at how woke Dana Scully was in 1979 without actually sitting down to consider like, yeah, how do I make this actually fit the the time frame that this happens in either? Like you said, actually, if Beyond Beyond has all these random, you know, classes of just has infinite space to have all these classes, she could have easily <laughs> taken like, you know, some kind of like progressive, you know, I don't even know what you call it. But that that at least would have made this terminology make more sense in, 19, in a 1979 based conversation. Yeah. And like not that I not that I wanted Scully to be racist, like, but I just feel like that conversation you didn't need to have it. You didn't need to Or Yeah, like or even if you did like to use different terminology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like it just is very it was very weird. It was awkward. Um, but so after that Scully goes and does like the psychic thing with uh sunlight and he burns special incense and while they're having their like mind bending psychic thing, um, Corinda notices Angelo like listening in at the door and like red herrings at him to stop doing that. And <laughs> during their like psychic session, Scully realizes she can see like the angel quote unquote who's doing this, but he's wearing a mask because he's someone who she knows. But, like, if she tries really hard, she might be able to see past the mask uh, and all this, like, weird shit. Um, I do just need to pause. (laughs) Sorry, again for a moment. Since you mentioned red herring. I just, this is another thing where I'm like, you wrote this plot outline in 24 hours, perhaps you should have spent a little more time on it. Because this is, like, the most obvious red herring. And I'm so mad that, like, because of the, the plot that this dude came up with in the narrative, like, everyone falls for it when I'm just like, really? (laughs) It's like, it's too obvious. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there since you already mentioned that he's a red herring. Yeah. Um, So afterwards they have Sunlight and Scully um, drink tea to do like a ritual to see if she can unmask the angel. Um, And she like freaks out and wakes up and he gives her like the special incense so she could go home and like try it there because like she has potential for being psychic and uh, parallel to her like psychical experiments. Uh, she and Ethan, the kid whose uncle is a cop who like has a crush on her and she has a crush on him. They go to the science club and she like kind of says to the science club, like, Hey, I'm having these visions. And the science club is like, Oh yeah. Like government study ESP. So it's real. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. That's fine. And we'll we'll look into this for you. Um, <laughs> I want and- I want to dig back into a couple things. After Scully and Sunlight have their trance thing, Sc- Sunlight is like, "Oh, this takes a lot out of your body. You need to eat." And then he peels a pear. <laughs> Do you? I've never peeled a pear in my life. Me is neither. that a thing? That I've never. I I like pears. I've never peeled a pear. Why would you I do could- that? I couldn't get over it. I was like, is this a sign? Is this a sign that he is, like, an alien? And Scully does not react to the fact that he has peeled a pear and given her a peeled pear. 
Has Jonathan Mayberry ever eaten a pear? I question all of that. <laughs> Important Q&A uh, session we need to have with him specifically about this pear. <laughs> yes. Um, also, one of the clues... So it's so stupid the way her visions work or whatever and the way that these adult psychics are trying to help her. And they're like, well, we can't see his face, but he has scars and he always carries a knife with him. And that's like what she knows about this angel. Um, also, we keep cutting, you know, we're cutting back to the agents and there's a part around here where um, Gerlach has to defend his project to someone from the syndicate who they call the First Elder who I think is supposed to be one of those nameless guys on the show. Yeah, one of them is definitely. I think it's the the um, the fatter one with the silver hair. Okay. I think he's the first elder. Okay. I could be mistaken. And so they're talking about the angel and how he's doing the amplification. And they're seeing how it's badly affecting these kids. And they're explicitly like, if he keeps turning up the amplification, it might kill Scully. And they're like, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, so Ethan brings Scully over to his house while his uncle's out to look at the case files. And when they look at them, they realize that they have these wounds that were hidden by their car crash uh, injuries, but do look like very deliberate. Um, and Scully, they go to the library and Scully does some research and is able to confirm that all of the wounds that they have match the wounds of the apostles in how they died. Yeah, because at first, like, Maisie does have the stigmata like Jesus, and she's like, yes, but the other ones have these very specific wounds that aren't stigmata, but she's like, this must mean something. And then, yeah, they match the apostles. What apostles? I don't know. Um, I still... I still don't get it. <laughs> like, I still don't get what the point of this was. I mean, I, I don't either, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Like it's yeah, like what, oh this is a really big clue the but it, of any of this like the clue is nothing the, like this doesn't really connect to anything yeah it, and it doesn't yeah, like, really come a... back up it, like <laughs> she figures it out and it's like a big deal but then like it it's literally irrelevant yeah it it has nothing to do with like it, it's like a thing that proves that like they were killed before the car accidents but it's not. Like, and then, like, it cracks the whole thing wide open of who, like, if it was a priest right. who was the murderer, that would be one thing, but it's not. Right. And momentarily, we'll get to who the murderer is. Yes. Um. So, uh, Corinda stops Scully when she comes to the uh, shop one day and tells her, like, kind of vaguely to, like, not trust Sunlight. And Scully thinks that Corinda is just, like, jealous I guess I don't know. It's it, it's there's a very there's a point in the book where Scully goes from being like oh like I like Corinda and she's very helpful to Corinda's a bitch and I don't trust her and there's no reason. Yeah, actually, okay, I didn't but realize. I it. wondered. Go ahead. Is the reason that she's drugged? I that I don't. So one, I don't know, and also I didn't realize that that turn happens n now because you're right. Like when Skull, uh, when Corinda tries to like vaguely warn Scully about sunlight, Scully immediately is like, "You're just jealous because he's more powerful than you, or whatever." And yeah, it's unclear if that's an influence of the incense or or the drug or what. Spoiler alert! Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Um, By the way, Scully's being drugged. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, but the, the change is so sudden that like, that would be the only thing that, and I'm not saying that Mayberry put this much thought into it, but that is the only thing that would make sense is that it's the drug that for some reason starts turning her against Corinda. Because at this point, 
there's nothing that Corinda has done that to me makes sense for Scully's sudden change of heart on her, except that she, except that Scully had this one-on-one session with sunlight. So yeah, she just like suddenly does a 180 on Corinda. And to me, it didn't make any sense. And I think that's because when I read it, I realized it happened this far back, but then I forgot that it happened this far back in the story. So yeah, yeah, it's hard Um, to keep track on anything in this book because it is going back and forth between these short chapters so much. Um, So after she leaves uh, the Beyond Beyond, she goes to see Ethan and Ethan's like, are you high? Because the sunscreen is like blown her pupil or the sunscreen. What the (laughs) fuck is going on in my brain today? (laughs) The fucking incense has blown her pupils. And uh, she's like, no, like, I'm not high. Like, here's all these things I learned from my visions. Um, And then they like look at the last kid's file. And it turns out he was killed like Judas, uh, Judas, which confirms it. Um, and confirms then something. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> confirms the weird theory that she has that doesn't connect to anything. Um, and I think at this point they kiss, and then um, Scully can't sleep and like tries to like figure out the case, but then like does fall asleep and dreams a warning that her grandmother comes in her room. And warns her about what's going to happen. And when she goes to school the next day, it's her turn to be drug tested. Because when all of these, with all these teens dying, they're like, oh, like, we think it's a drug. And we're going to drug test everyone at school as long as your parents okay it. And when she, uh, so she gets drug tested. And the next day... Who even knows? Or no, wait, this is, so she gets drug tested. Then they go back to Beyond Beyond after the school day. And Ethan is kind of like, this is stupid. And she's like, no, like, this is great. Sunlight's great. And uh, they tell Sunlight all of the things that they have learned about the case, like from the stolen files and like basically everything that's happened. Because they're like, we need to go to the police, but we can't tell Ethan's uncle because then he'll get in trouble. We can't tell like any other adults because then they'll know where we got the information and Ethan's uncle will get fired. So they decide to tell Sunlight and he's like, oh, I'll tell the police that it, it came to me in a vision. Mm-hmm. And they're like, great. Like he'll talk to the police. And he like says like, oh yeah, like I've worked with the police to solve murders before or something that the police have relied on him in the past. And I yeah. think this might also be when he mentions like, I pay a lot of taxes here or something <laughs> like Renata yeah. mentioned earlier. Um. And then, by the way, also this book, as if it didn't have enough fucking chapters, it's also broken into parts. And so um, we've been in part one was called. Actually, I guess I didn't put part one. I think it might be called Angels and Demons. Oh, yeah. Part two is the larger world. And after this talk with um, Sunlight, then they enter part three of the book, which is the Red Age. And the Red Age is something that the angel has been sort of alluding to in his visions, like when we have angel chapters. Yeah. Um, So after they leave Beyond Beyond, Ethan and Scully get into a fight. um, And Scully thinks it's because Ethan, Ethan's like, I don't know if we should have like sunlight go to the police like this. And she's like, what? Because you're jealous that he'll get the credit and you won't. And he kind of hesitates. And she's like, oh, like, I can't believe you'd be like this. And he makes a comment about like her being a girl and she freaks out. So she leaves and he goes the other way, even though she's not supposed to walk home by herself per sunlight. Um, And on her way, she bumps into Angelo 
um, and sees that he has scars and a eclipse tattoo, like all of the killed teens had the eclipse pendant that Renata mentioned a hundred years ago when we were on that part. Mm-hmm. Um, so she freaks out and runs away. And while she's running away and he's chasing her, um, she sees the ghost of one of the dead girls and goes into a house where all of the dead teens are ghosts and are trying to warn her. That the um, Red Age is coming. Yes. And then so she gets she... home and she describes this to Melissa. And Melissa is like, oh, that's Karen's house. By the way, I'm sorry, the name Karen is just very funny now. Um, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> that's not an intentional joke. But the girl's name is Karen and she's the cousin of Maisie who died. And we've briefly met Karen before in the narrative because she was like, oh, I heard you had a vision of my cousin. And they have a little convo about that. But so Melissa's like, I'm going to call Karen because it sounds like a warning. But Karen does not believe. She doesn't even want to believe. She just sort of like blasts it off. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, Scully, uh, Dana and Melissa decide they're going to tell their parents everything. And when, like, I don't fucking know in what world they thought this would work. Right? Given, like, like everything <laughs> sorry, just... that we know about Scully's dad, like, both in canon and in this book so far. Because he just, like, fucking freaks out and, like, slams things down and yells at them and tells them they're crazy and grounds them forever. And, like, shouts nonstop until um, Grandma comes in and is like, oh, your friend's on TV. And when they go to the TV, it's Corinda having an interview about how her psychic visions have led the police to know that it's Angelo who is the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another point where Dana all of a sudden is like, oh, like, I can't believe, like, Corinda would do that. And Melissa's like, why? Like, literally, you went to Beyond Beyond to find someone to do that for you. And she's like, oh, she's just stealing the spotlight from sunlight. And Melissa's like, what does it fucking matter who tells the police? Yeah, definitely in, you know, team Melissa on this argument. <laughs> but this the other is thing another, that- Go ahead. This is just another thing where I was like, is it because she's drugged? Because otherwise it's so irrational. But if if it was from the drugs and like this influence on her to make her act like that, it wasn't made explicitly clear, but I just sort of was rationalizing it that way. Bless you. Because I did not, I was not as charitable. I also can't remember like how the timeline of like, is this the same night as the day that she had the session? And like, how long does this drug act in the system? You know, I have like a lot of like Dana Scully technical questions about this. But my other thing is when she's having this fight with Melissa about Corinda, this is exactly the fight she just had with Ethan where Ethan Mm -hmm. was on the end. Like there's no self-awareness about that at all where she's like, Oh, suddenly I understand how Ethan felt. No, no reference to that fight where she was like, so I'm just like, you can't, in my opinion, you can't do that and not have her, it happens in like the same day. I feel like there's just no, I don't know, like to have her be that self, like on self-aware about the fact that she flipped, like flipped from one side of that argument to the other in like the span of hours. It was just, yeah. it was bizarre to me. It's whack. Yeah. So we, we've got less than 10 minutes left. So let's just Sorry. Like, <laughs> go. It's fine. We'll just screw, uh, slide through the rest of this. Um, summary, which is so like Angela's arrested, Scully bo- goes back to school and is shunned by all of the people there. Um, she gets called to the principal's office because her drug test came back positive, 
and it is the same um, drug that was in the blood of all of the victims of the murders. It's a drug. And like, the compound is 5-HT2A, but its street name is Eclipse, which is very funny. Yes. Um, so Scully is suspended from school and her parents like double ground her at this point. And she thinks that perhaps it was the tea that was drugged because Corinda is evil now. So she goes to Beyond Beyond and has like a whole confrontation with Corinda, who's like trying to be chill and being like Scully, like I did or Dana, I did this on purpose, like to this is this is bigger than you think. Like you're just a kid, like chill out. I'm not trying to whatever, but she like freaks out and she steals some tea bags for testing later. Um and uh sunlight of course like gives her advice and like a, a shoulder to lean on and all this shit. Uh, and when Scully gets home, um, she tells everything to Melissa and Melissa's like, no, like I believe Corinda, like, cause part of it. Sh- yeah. Um, I, I fucking think, I don't know. Everything <laughs> is kind of mushing together. Mm-hmm. So Melissa believes Corinda and then like Scully's really upset about that. But then they find out that Karen has been murdered, but Angelo's in jail so, like, he couldn't have been the killer. Uh, so Dana goes back to Beyond Beyond to confront Corinda again about how, like, oh, like, it wasn't Angelo. Which is just, like, because she thought it was Angelo before. It's just so, it's so weird. And then mm-hmm. Angelo shows up and he's all bloody because he's escaped um, jail because he knows who the real killer is and he needs to protect everyone from him. Mm-hmm. And, um that the the drug is only used on people who have like these psychic powers to help like make them stronger and at that point like it also clicks with Scully that he's talking about sunlight and that the drug was in the incense the entire time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and and there's there's like, like a sun- fight like a crystal throwing fight a violent fight breaks out at beyond beyond during and which Scully does not use any of her jujitsu that she attended not. several classes previously, and it just never comes up again. No. Yeah, it's this, there's this whole thing, and Sunlight is like murdering, and he thinks he's a prophet of the Red Age and all this shit. Um, and he gets hit by a car, and then like the police show up, and so does Scully's family. Um, so of course, like, they're like, oh, like, the reason that you had the drugs in your system was because this man was grooming you to be his next murder victim. Like, we're sorry we suspended you. Mm-hmm. But she stays out of school anyway, because she needs to see a therapist. And, uh, Angela's in the hospital, but he recovers. Mm-hmm. And, um, Scully is like, ah, oh, like psychic stuff is bullshit even though i was having the psychic visions like no more i don't believe in it anymore the only thing that's real is science yeah and uh and then we have three epilogues where oh right (laughs) it's not over yet yes where gerlach kills we think that the police deputies are going to come and take sunlight men said it's you know mystery agent gerlach kills them and lets sunlight go and makes these kind of vague things like, oh, we might need you in the future. Bye. And then epilogue two is that Angelo is okay. And Scully finally has a dreamless, no, no prophecy sleep. 
And then epilogue three is that the cigarette smoking man comes to the FBI office to take the file about this very case and take it away from the FBI. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> and so that's, that's the real end of the book. Yeah. I'm sorry that it was such a mess. It is. The book's a mess. <laughs> And what, okay, so you had linked to a thing about how the Montauk Project is, like, something um, semi-real. It's a or like, theory, you know, an, yeah. an, a conspiracy theory that exists outside of this book. Whatever. What were they trying to do? Because on one hand, it seemed like they wanted to train the kids to have these psychic abilities. But on the other hand, they seemed supremely unbothered when the psychic kids all, like, were murdered. And you'd think that they would have wanted to keep them alive. If they wanted them to be psychic. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that the actual Montauk project conspiracy theory is like mostly it was like these two guys who um, claimed that they were take they were taken to this like Air Force base with like this whole like underground research thing where they were. Uh, the, the government was investigating time travel and, um, like, ESP shit, and that the people who are were, were telling these stories were like, yeah, like, we were held underground, and, like, we went, like, to the future, and we went back in time, and we, like, saw all these things, and they made us, like, do ESP, and that's where they faked the moon landings, and... Um, they also like, they, it's like supposedly supposed to be the next phase of the Philadelphia experiment, I believe, which is a whole fucking other <laughs> conspiracy theory that like, it, it's, there's like a boat. <laughs> I, <sighs> Can we have a different there's, podcast? There's a where deep Kate... hole. If you're fucking into conspiracy <laughs> theories, this is a deep hole that keeps on giving. I just, I just want a separate podcast where Kate describes all these conspiracy theories she's <laughs> running about. <laughs> there was a I've... bow, and <laughs> it's great. I love it. Yeah, because the Philadelphia experiment was on like boats, and it was on like creating like invisibility things in order to cloak boats so that they could do you know bad things while invisible and they were like you have they were using the boats for ufos yeah it's a whole <laughs> there's a whole thing but but the montauk project specifically is about like training people how to do psychic stuff but i also feel like in most of the conspiracy stuff that i've read about it like the emphasis is always much more on the time travel aspect mm. um not necessarily on the ESP aspect. So of all of the conspiracy theories to choose to be like, I'm going to use this one. I feel like there were other better conspiracy theories that were linked to psychic stuff, but maybe it was just the timing lined up. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. So real quick. So we have there, the syndicate is trying to do activate these psychic powers or whatever. Sunlight is trying to bring about the Red Age, and so he is doing these religious-styled killings. But, you know, and I feel like we talked about this with the last Exiles book we read, Ground Zero, where it was just, like, completely unsatisfying and made no sense. And I feel mm. like with most episodes of the X-Files, like, it's not necessarily like it's resolved completely, and 
often, you know, the official explanation maybe isn't believed, but I feel like an average episode of X-Files leaves me, leaves me with a better sense of like what was happening yeah, or what a- was meant to be happening or like who's benefiting from covering something up. And this is just like, why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, I would say like even in a mythology episode of the X-Files, there is an arc that they're investigating a mystery that has a beginning, middle, and end. And even if the end is like, we don't know, maybe aliens, like, it all, all of the clues lead to something else that lead to something else that lead to a conclusion. And in this, like, if if the murder stuff made sense linearly with sunlight, I would forgive the syndicate stuff for just being weird, because that's basically fucking the X-Files, right? <laughs> that's fair. But there's no, it doesn't, seem to explain why why sunlight is doing them with like weird religious connotations how he's connected to it like what it's very yeah it's not clear why to me that why the syndicate thought that sunlight would be able to help them like why what purpose like why were they working with sunlight like what what was he supposed to help them with with activating these psychic powers if he just wanted to do murders the one thing that i thought but i don't know if this is supported by the text or if my brain filled it in was that maybe he was good at like figuring out what kids had psychic powers but even that doesn't fit in with anything else that happened yeah no i mean that would make sense except then they keep killing he keeps killing those kids and they're like, this is fine. They're explicitly yeah. like, this is fine that you're killing them. Um, it's very strange. Okay, there's one last mystery I do want to briefly focus on. And this is something that is in the show. It's, you know, iconic that Scully and her father read Moby Dick together. And they had these cute, you know, Starbuck and Ahab from the book. In or fr- Yeah, from in the show, they have the nicknames from the book Moby Dick. In this book, he posits that they started reading Moby Dick together when Scully was nine. And I don't remember (laughs) if that's in the show specifically, but that is so young to start reading and enjoying Moby Dick. Yeah. All all I can think is that, like, he started... I mean, like, he doesn't ever seem like a real good dad. So... That's fair. In my head... I feel like the possible solution, I don't know if this is backed up in the show or the text, is that he was like, well, I do like love my children. I don't know how to show it. I want to bond with them in some way. And that like Scully likes books and nerd shit and is like, I'll and read I'm this book the Navy, out loud so I to like you. Boats. <laughs> yeah. Or even like, I like, Mo- I, I liked Moby. I read Moby Dick as a younger man and I like it. And maybe, like, one day he was reading it and Scully came over and said, like, what are you reading? And he read it out loud to her. Like, I think it's possible she didn't understand it but she or, like, enjoy it. She liked sitting and reading with him. Yeah, okay. I th- yeah. I think in the book, in this book, she does say it was more about, like, spending that time with her dad. Which, if they started the book at nine, when she was nine, especially, I believe, because I don't, yeah, she wouldn't have understood what was going on, even if she's very bright. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nine is young, but I, I think it was supposed to be more just the quality time with her dad. Cause otherwise he's like very standoffish. Yeah. And, and she talks in it about how they just like are constantly rereading it. So like they're on they're they've made multiple trips through Moby Dick at this point. 
Like, guys, there's TV. Yeah, but, right? Okay. <laughs> TV existed in 1979. <laughs> um, and by the way, they do make a, a deep cut Excel's reference that I did, like, where they refer to watching the stupendous Yappy on TV, who's like a TV psychic that was in a good episode of the show. But <laughs> just watch that with your dad, Scully. Right. Anyway, <laughs> should we do our dramatic readings and just give you a, a delicious taste of this book? That's bad. Let's let's do it. Um, so this first dramatic reading is literally chapter one, page one. So I want to believe. Melissa Scully looked at her sister. Dana sat a few feet away, red hair tangled by the wind, blue eyes fixed on the darkening sky. Above the canopy of leaves, the first stars of a brand new April were igniting. The waxing crescent moon was low, slicing its way into the steeple of the empty church across the street. Deep in the tall grass, a lone cricket chirped, calling for the others who were not yet born. Believe in what? She twisted a curl of her own auburn hair around her finger. Everything. Dana, said Dana. She sat with her knees up, arms wrapped around her shins, cheek on one knee. The stuff you keep talking about, the stuff Gran always talks about. She shrugged. All of it. So, said Melissa, giving her own shrug, believe, what's stopping you? Dana said nothing for a long time, and the cricket was the only sound. Twilight's last fires were burning out, and the streaks of red and gold and lavender that had been painted across the sky were thickening to the uniform color of a rotting plum. That's certainly a descriptor. (laughs) Um, Dark purple and ugly. A tidal wave of storm clouds was rolling in from the southeast and there was the smell of seawater and ozone on the breeze although it was unseasonably warm for early spring the storm was pushing cold and damp air ahead of it when dana finally spoke her voice was soft distant more like she was talking to herself than melissa because i don't know if they're actually visions or only dreams maybe they're the same thing dana cut her a look Really? Because last week I dreamed that Beau from Dukes of Hazard picked me up at school and we went driving in that stupid car of his, and then we made out like crazy in the church parking lot. You never made out with anyone. That's my point. And when I do, if I do, are you going to sit there and tell me that it'll be some grown-up guy from a TV show? He's old. He's like 20 or something. So it would be illegal, too. You can't tell me I'm seeing my own future. (laughs) Okay, so maybe not all dreams are prophecies, but some are, and sometimes those dreams are really important. How do you know that? Everyone knows that. Dreams, okay, some dreams, are our inner eyes opening to the possibilities of the infinite. You always say stuff like that. So yeah, that's the opening chapter. And that's definitely how teenage girls talk. For sure, especially in 1979. Yeah. Especially, like, just, okay. Yeah, definitely rings <laughs> true, no further questions. Gross. Definitely, yeah, how a normal teenage girls talk to each other, not how some middle-aged man imagines teenage girls talk to each other. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, let's move on to our next reading, which is um, set at Beyond Beyond. It's a, it's a cute little convo between Sunlight and Dana Scully. And I will be Sunlight, and Nicole will be Dana Scully, who's obviously a teenage girl in 1979. It will be obvious from the dialogue. You'll totally get it. 
I apologize for anything Angelo might have said to offend you. He's a little thin-skinned. No, it's totally fine. He wasn't bothering me. I knocked something over and he caught it. He grabbed it so fast before it could fall. I've never seen anyone move that fast. Oh, yes. He's quick. But so is his temper. He is used to being kicked around because of his skin color and his circumstance. Circumstance? He was brought over here as a 10-year-old by his mother, and she died when he was 12. He went into an orphanage, but that was a particular kind of hell, so he ran away and lived on the streets. Imagine that, Miss Scully, a boy living in alleys and squatting in abandoned houses and yet going to school and getting his diploma. He's doing his best with what life's handed him. Although he was probably less than 10 years older than Dana, he spoke in a way that made him seem 20 or 30 years older. Mature, commanding, and self-assured, he had a lot of what Melissa called personal power. Poverty is an appalling thing. The fact that we, at our current level of modern civilized evolution, allow it is unforgivable. Don't you agree? Yes, of course. When I met Angelo, he was trying to live on some piecework at a garage, but it wasn't enough to live on. Not really. I took him in and gave him a job here and spoke for him at Francis Scott Key High so they would also offer employment. He's putting away every dime he can to afford college. Community college, but that doesn't matter. I offered to pay his tuition, but Angelo is very proud of the fact that he will pay his own way. He should be. And I feel like a total privileged white girl idiot. Sunlight nodded approvingly. Self-awareness of one's limitations is a rare and wonderful thing. Most people use pat replies and rely on culturally specific viewpoints, and they never become aware that these are not essential truths in their own experience. This is especially true of people born to some degree of wealth and comfort. Like, okay, good talk, Sunlight. (laughs) he's mansplaining (laughs) and again it's not like those aren't good points but it's such a weird conversation to have in the context of this historical fiction book yeah like not almost none of that terminology i feel would have been used in 1979 unless mayberry had set up that like sunlight was teaching courses on lean, you know, like there had to be some setup for this to be a conversation that like this terminology would be used in 79. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. So fuck off. Basically. <sighs> All right. Oh, Duarte's snoring. He is so bored by sunlight. Oh, I don't blame him. So cute. Okay. For Duarte's sake, let's move on to our next dramatic reading. Um, Yes. Um, So our last dramatic reading is from one of the chapters that's from the shadowy government point of view. And I will be the first elder and Nicole will be Agent Gerlach. We are playing a very dangerous game, Agent. Very dangerous. We are risking a betrayal of trust on all sides. When this project began, we all knew that we were putting ourselves at risk. We were putting the world at risk. You convinced us that the angel would be able to cultivate the abilities of these children. You said that they would form the core of an elite army that we could put into play against our... He paused and considered the best word, then finished with... Masters. 
That is what we're doing. And yet, you are dangerously close to missing your own deadline. Sir, this is new territory for us, for anyone. It's not an exact science. That is your concern, Agent. You made promises that we have taken seriously. We expect you to deliver the promised assets. Yes, sir. The first elder studied him with the kind of look Danny had seen people use when selecting a lobster from a tank at a seafood restaurant. In your most recent memo, you asked for an extension in order to deal with some unforeseen complications. Please explain to me what constitutes a complication as you see it. It's the angel. From the beginning, it's been about him. Exactly what is it that concerns you? He's erratic, unstable, psychotic, and dangerous. Yes, that was rather the point when we recruited him into the Montauk Project. We wanted dangerous operatives, and he is very dangerous. Dangerous, yes, but also unstable. He's a loose cannon. His um, methods are endangering the entire program here. Because he is killing children? Well, yes, that's a huge concern. He's killed six of... We don't care how many coffins are put into the ground. We need results. We need a weapon or we are going to lose this war. I thought we already had lost. The future isn't written in stone, Agent Gerlach. The key to survival is to be prepared when an opportunity arises. To that end, we need him to push. The angel is pushing. Tell him to push harder. Turn up the amplification. Turn it all the way up. Even with the Scully girl? Especially with her. What if he kills her? William Scully has four children. He owes us one. So... And, and, Apparently, the first elder is like a fey creature that you like agree to sell one of your children to for something. I guess. And they, and this, I feel like, is as clear of an explanation as we get of what they want. And I don't understand what they want. All right. So that's what this book is. It's confusing and bad. And let's move on and play some Would You Rather. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask Would You Rather. Take yoga with Teen Scully or play D&D with Teen Mulder. What happens in the Mulder book? Um, I go ahead, Kate. You go first. Are, are, is, are we teens? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sorry. Now I have to think about it harder. If we were adults, it would be very easy. Um, well, whatever you want. I don't care. I, I think I would, if you're still thinking about it, I still yeah. think teen me Especially since I was more into Mulder when I was watching the show. Like, obviously, I know this would be two different universes, but I think I would prefer to play D&D, even though in real life, I didn't get into D&D until I was an adult. I think in 1979, well, first of all, I wasn't born then, but <laughs> if I weren't, if I were teen. You got Montauk Project I, I back to 1979. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know if I would want to do yoga. I don't know. I don't know. I think yeah, so I just think I got to do D&D. So the problem for me is that by 15, I did know why I liked Scully so much more. Um, That's fair. And 
I feel like if, like, a very pretty girl who I liked was, like, come do yoga with me, even though I was not a particularly, like, active teen, I might go with her. Um, I, my whole persona in high school was based around being, like, weird and eccentric and offbeat. So, like, playing D&D with Teen Mulder is more, is probably what I would have done. Um... Yeah, but there would have been a part of me that was like, no, I want to do what this attractive girl my age wants me to do. <laughs> um, okay, so my take on this question is me trying to answer it right now, like five months deep into quarantine or whatever. Um, I used to go to yoga classes pretty regularly in the before time, and now I've been doing yoga at home. And it's not as good. And you know that I love Duarte, but he is obsessed with whenever I do yoga, he he thinks it's like a cool playtime and it's time for like chomping on my feet. And I don't love it. One of my cats also does that. So I feel you. Yeah, I don't love it. It's not good time. I would rather go to Beyond Beyond and have just like a nice yoga studio. Um, But that is a specific quarantine concern. And so as a teen... Um, as a teen, I would also rather play D&D with Teen Mulder. Yeah. Um, all right. Real quick. Would you rather want to believe or believe the lie? Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I would rather believe the lie, but I, I would want to believe. Yeah. In my heart, I would rather believe the lie because that feels easier, but I, I I am unable to do that. Yeah, as the the notorious real talk friend in real life, all my friends know I will just tell them things as it is. I think I have to go with want to believe. I would just rather know the truth than believe a lie. Well, I'm now I'm like twisted in into the metaphysics of all of this. Um, <laughs> But I, I'll go with I want to believe just so we can move on. Um, finally, would you rather have tea and muffins at Beyond Beyond or steaks and cakes at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that serves only steaks and cakes? <laughs> um, you know, I just I got to go with steaks and cakes. Uh, I do. I do love um, our beloved sponsors. And, you know, uh yeah, I just, I could really go for a steak or a cake right now. <laughs> well, that's because, you know, you're letting your Christian beliefs influence your decision. <laughs> um, I would prefer to have tea and muffins at Beyond Beyond, even if the tea is not actually spiked with some kind of hallucinogenic drug. Um, yeah, I'm tempted by Beyond Beyond for sure, but I do love our sponsor and I do love cake. So I'll, I'll see you there, Kate, at Steaks and Cakes. Excellent. Um, all right. Good game, everyone. We'll move on to Reader's Advisory, where we will suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to this book. I'm going to pretty clearly say instead of this book is just not appealing, even if you're an X-Files fan, maybe especially if you're an X-Files fan. I just don't know. Um, and I am going to say right now also that we have more suggestions than we're going to have time to talk about. So please do check that full list that will be up at worstbestsellers.com under Reader's Advisory. Yeah, I mean, right off, like, as we said, rewatch The X-Files if you're into that. And then also, I would say, um, read the Shadow Shaper series by uh, Daniel Jose Older. 
And I've been re-listening to The Adventure Zone Amnesty, and it's got a very uh, it's similar feel in ways. And, okay. uh, you know, I think more people should have gotten into that. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I really liked uh, Gwenda Bond wrote some Lois Lane prequel novels about teen Lois Lane in high school. And they're uh, way better than this. And the first one in the series is Fallout, and it has a sort of similar government mind control plot. And that's not really a spoiler. He gets into that real quick. But um, I like I'm into the concept of a YA prequel novel. I also think like Lee Bardugo's Teen Wonder Woman novel is good. Like people are doing this right, and Jonathan Mayberry needs to go into timeout because he is not. <laughs> Um, so we'll have more of those up on the website and uh, let's move on to Karen E. Parent. Yeah. Um, mine is carob chip cookies because you're like, oh, it's maybe you got it beyond beyond. And you're like, oh, I, I like chocolate chip cookies and this looks like that. And then you eat it and you're like, no. Yeah, mine is a similar pairing. I said the knockoff version of your favorite name brand candy. Like you walk into a random convenience store and they don't have any Kit Kats, but you see something that's called like Mitt Mats. And so you grab that thinking it'll be the same, but something about it is just off. I would eat a Mitt Mat. <laughs> you think you would, but you would regret it. Uh, mine would be if you see you see what you think is your favorite candy and you pick it up, but actually the box doesn't have or the wrapper doesn't have your favorite candy in it. It just has like some dirt and some you dirt. were tricked. <laughs> <laughs> Quality prank. <laughs> um, it's like the the tweet about the person who wrapped Brussels sprouts look like Ferrero Rocher's, but someone oh, didn't man, have a Brussels right. sprout and they just put dirt and gave it to you. <laughs> anyway, let's breeze into the Rock Paper Snicked, which is of course the game we play, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if you were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if you were in this book, and Nicole will choose which most enhances the book, or can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Um, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be a detective on the case. Uh, he might be like Ethan's uncle's partner. Um, who does exist in the book, but has no speaking lines. Uh, he would discover that Scully and Ethan were looking into the case and listen to them when they admit the clues they've discovered. And he would tentatively believe them and admit that he always believed in like paranormal shit. Uh, so he'd help them out and protect them throughout the rest of the book and figure out that sunlight was the actual baddie like way earlier. Uh, this would lead Scully to maintain her belief throughout her life, even though she does continue to pursue science. Uh, so she'd still be paired up with Mulder as a scientist and doctor when she joined the FBI, but together they'd be able to bust up all the weird X-Files mythology shit much sooner. Um, we didn't actually get much into Scully's jujitsu classes, but her teacher seemed fucking intense, and there was a part that I reread like three times because I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be really happening or a vision, but... I believe that this jujitsu teacher was like literally holding a knife to his teenage students throughout while they were fighting. Is that true? Did that happen? I don't remember. I think there it was happened. definitely a part with a knife. I can't remember if he was using it against a teenage student or he was using it against like Scully. two instructors. Yeah, that's yeah. So, but yeah, I don't know. If Scully that was had this whole thing about how they partnered up and she didn't get a partner, so she had to be with the teacher because there weren't any other teens left. And he held a knife to her throat, and I was like, "This is fucking whack," and I don't think you should do this. And so, um, that happened in the book. And so, if Wolverine were in this book, he would be the jujitsu teacher. And even though he has knives in his hands, he would not use them on human <laughs> children in class. 
Like, not unless they're X-Men children with a healing factor. So he's not going to put a knife on Scully's throat, Jesus Christ. Um, but what he will do is smell the drugged incense on Scully, and he's going to figure out this whole drugged incense plan sooner with his keen sense of smell. Um, he's going to get to the bottom of it, probably just straight-up murder sunlight, which will reduce the number of dead kids in this town. Um, as a result, Scully is going to be more well adjusted and she's going to be even better at jujitsu <sighs> all right this is a tough choice um they're both much better than the actual book so spoiler alert i'm not picking paper <laughs> um but i think overall i have to go with wolverine um or snicked because i think the scenario with the rock as kate described it would change the mythology of the X-Files TV show too much. Mm. And also like, I don't actually like the last few seasons of the show get even, you know, whatever, but I don't really want to change the length of the show. So I feel like you got to leave all that how it is. But the idea that like, I also wanted her jujitsu to come back into play more. So I feel like if she had a better instructor, maybe it would have made more sense for the plot. So I, ju I just think the snicked fixes the problems for me, but doesn't affect the larger X-Files mythology. Super fair. Yeah. Uh, real quick, moral of the story. Mine is trust no male author to write a teenage girl narrator. Amen. <laughs> Mine is don't believe the lie of the red herring. <laughs> uh, mine is I want to believe this book would be better if it was written by a woman. Mm, also, I, amen. I do believe that. <laughs> I do believe that's true. Um, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where, of course, my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the book and um, not about why he thinks he should get to do yoga. All right. Duarte, I mean, you're right. I do think that if Scully, the Scully family, had had a cat, a cat probably... You know, cats do have psychic powers, and we all know that to be true, and I do think a cat could have helped solve this case. Uh, I think it's just one more example of why Jonathan Mayberry really let us all down. Yeah, the, the lack of, like, pets or any animal role in the story is definitely um, a problem. I agree. Yeah, I would agree as well. Um, all right. And uh, yeah, if any humans have any closing thoughts, I'm just going to say thank you to Nicole for uh, joining us and doing this. It was a delight to read this with you, uh, even if it wasn't very good. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why I keep agreeing to be on your show, except that I love you so much as my favorite cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, your show is great, but these books, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the whole that's the whole thing of our show. Is that books are bad. <laughs> I know. And by the way, publicists stop pitching authors to be on our show. It's offensive oh, to them. That's yes. a bit yeah, that's a big yikes. <laughs> um, that's my closing thought. Is like publicists stop when you get to the name of our podcast on your list of people you're cold emailing, like maybe you think twice. Just it's got worse right in the name. Um it's true. That's my. Um, if you want more from us, you know all the places Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, 
Uh, on our website, you can get to all of these things from our website. We did start a Discord um, for a Midnight Sun book club and just general discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find that on our website as well, as long as well as links to all the places to find us, Patreon, all that. All you know the deal. You know that. Uh, Nicole, where could people find you on Twitter or the internet to <laughs> uh, hear more from you? Uh, Twitter is probably the best. I am at N underscore D-E-G-E-N-N-A-R-O. I'm a little bit on a hiatus right now, but I do still pop up there eventually, like occasionally to, to tweet some things. Excellent. And you should follow her. She's great. Uh, and if you want more from me, I am, as always, at 14 across. Mm-hmm. I'm at Renata Snacks. And by the way, the podcast on Twitter is at Worst Bestseller with no S because the S is for Scully, obviously. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with another book written by a man. Uh, and it's I Know This Much Is True by Wally Lamb. So, like, fucking brace yourselves, guys. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm kind of glad I'm not going to be in that episode. <laughs> oh, you should be. You've <laughs> dodged a bullet for sure, big time. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Trust no one. Bye. 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 <laughs>